to God. Glory to God. Ah. Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, I'm just going to jump right into the message here, guys. So uh, praise God. They're ready. They're ready for us. Worship. 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 We're here to talk about worship today. Um, We're created for worship. Worship is of the utmost importance. If if I could get you to do just three things in your life, it would be to pray, worship, and read your Bible, and probably in that order. If I could get you to do three things in your life as a result of dedicating your life to follow Christ, it would be to pray, to worship, and to read your Bible. It may be in that order. I, I haven't a ton of thought. I actually may flip it and say worship, then pray, then read your Bible. I, I don't know. It would be close. Um, Derek Prince said, Derek Prince said this. He said, if you have 10 minutes to pray, spend nine minutes worshiping and one minute praying. Yeah, worship has a little bit more power to it than we ever give credence to. Worship has the ability to position our heart properly. And this is the whole deal, guys, is that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proper alignment of our heart when we choose to worship God. There's a song that came out a number of years ago. It was on the Lunchbox Collection album, if anybody in this room is other than my own family. Um, It came out in 2007, and there's a song on that album, and there's a song, there's a a line in the song, I couldn't tell you the name of the song, I don't know, I don't even know the artist, I'm terrible at that stuff. But there's a line in the song, and it says, the angels marvel at how we worship him. It's not scriptural. <laughs> it's, not, it's not scriptural. There's no script. And so what I mean by that is that there's no scripture that specifically says that the angels marveled that we worship him. The scripture does say that the deep things of God, the hidden things of God have been revealed to you and I, and it's the things that angels desire to look into. That's what the scripture says. It says that the deep things of God, the hidden things of God have been revealed to you and I, and those are the things that angels desire to look into. It's almost, it doesn't say this, but it's almost as if it's saying that the angels can't look into these things, but we've been given the inside, we've been given the inside edge. We've been given the inside information. And we just hold back and we're like, ah. Maybe I'll look at it tomorrow. The angels who stand in front of the glory of God continually. And they desire to look into these things and we're like, ah, ah. Goodness. So coming back to the the song in the, the line in the song. (laughs) The angels marvel at how we worship him. I know it's not scriptural, but I really think that they do. Jesus said, Jesus said to Thomas, he said, blessed are you, Thomas, but more blessed are those who have not seen and had believed. The angels in heaven worship God because they stand in the midst of his glory. They stand in the midst of his glory. I told this story before, but a friend of mine was in a service in uh, South America. Jesus walked into the room, and 5,000 people that were all in the service, every single one of them, face down on the floor. When Jesus walks into the room, there's no option to worship. This is what it means when it says, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. You can either do it willingly or you can do it unwillingly. Why does, not, why does Jesus not show up? physical manifest presence into our worship service because then worship wouldn't be optional. But we've been given the we've been given a moment of time here in our short life, 70 years upon the earth, 78 years average upon the earth. We've been given a moment of time here upon the earth where we get to worship God, choose to worship God. We get to choose to worship God in our victories and in our sufferings. In our failures and in our accomplishments. 
in our good days and on our bad days and in all sorts of ways when we've everything and when we have more than we can imagine we get to worship God in every single one of those circumstances and we should worship God in every single one of those circumstances because he doesn't change he is forever unchanging. And although our circumstances or our life or our outlook or the things around us may change a billion times, he never changes. He never changes. He never, ever, 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 ever changes. And we have to know that he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. Today's message is entitled, Worship matters because worship matters. Worship is vital. Worship is so, so, so important. It's so important. I can't stress it enough. I can't stress enough how important worship is. Worship matters. If there's one thing that I can get you to do, it's to worship God. Uh, Ledge Rizel said, um, show me a man who's a worshiper and I'll show you a man whose heart is truly after God. There are external things that we can look at to see where someone's walk with the Lord is. Worship is one of those things. Worship matters. Let's jump into scripture. Romans 12, 1, it says, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. New NIV says, reasonable act of worship. And so the, the Greek word there for service or worship, depending on which translation you read, is latreria, uh, which means service or worship to God. It's a different word than John 4, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, uh, you worship what you do not know. We Jews worship God, and we know him, and you, you um, Sumerians don't know God. But a time is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. That word worship is a different word. It's proskineo. Okay, so there's different words for worship, and we need to be aware of that. But this word service can also be translated as wor service can also be translated worship. And we'll see that here. Look at it in the New King James. Beloved friends, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies be? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifice, to live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. This is our genuine expression of worship. You want to have a true, true life of worship? Position your heart to surrender anything that stands in the way of God. Present your life as a holy sacrifice to God. This is how. It's, it comes back to a heart position. It's all about how we position our hearts. How, we, how do we position our hearts before God? How surrendered are we? Ugh. <laughs> Surrender. Surrender. Surrender, surrender to God. You know, it's it's a it's a mm, it's a tough word for some of us. Some of us don't want to trust God. Surrender means to stop resisting and to submit to authority. <laughs> uh, I just laugh because uh, the Holy Spirit's doing something right now. When surrender, stop resisting God. You know. God puts his hands on his finger on things in his life, our lives, and he says, hey, that's not okay. You know, you've been doing that for 20 years. That's all right, but it's not okay anymore, right? God's putting his finger on some stuff, and we just need to surrender. We need to be, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. We need to submit to his authority. We need to submit to the authority that God is. God is the ultimate authority. When I first got saved 30 years ago, 31 years ago, 31 years ago now, wow, 31 years. When I got, <laughs> let's go. When I first got saved 31 years ago, it wasn't a full surrender. 
It was, hey, God, I'll take that free ticket to heaven. Thanks. But I'm still, you know, pretty capable of running my life down here. So I'll get back with you. And he said, yeah, you will. I've told this story before, but um, I carried into my Christian life bad habits from my worldly life. Take all this world, give me Jesus. I carried into this Christian walk some bad habits from my previous life that I didn't let go because I didn't fully surrender. I didn't fully surrender. And after about a year and a half of being saved, about a year and a couple months of being saved, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, got pregnant out of wedlock. We were fornicators. We were sinners. And so we had a lifestyle that I thought I had under control. And my life came crashing down. And I remember I prayed right over here. And I said, God, my life's a mess. I, I made a mess. God, take control. Tell me what to do. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. Here I am. How did I get here? Surrender. 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 And so surrender comes one of two ways. Surrender, there's the easy way, and there's the hard way. <laughs> I chose the hard way to begin with. And those decisions that I made by going the hard way and refusing to surrender, it threw me into a five-year trial five-year trial where I learned to consider it pure joy when you come into various trials so that was beautiful God Romans 8 28 the, 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 God Romans 8 28 the thing that's not even a real term but he did <laughs> God makes all things abound uh, how does it go God works all things together for good for those who call, love God and are called according to his purposes. He's so good at working bad situations to good that we think that he caused the bad thing to happen, but he didn't. God's not like that. But he did. He turned it around. He turned it around. And from that moment where I prayed, my life became uh, a race to find out how much can I surrender, God? How quickly can I surrender, God? And so God would put his finger on things, and I'd resist for a little while, and I'd be like, okay. And then, you know, I get quicker at it. And then there's certain things that I'll let go of quicker, and then there's certain things that I'll let go of slower. <laughs> We're all human, guys. We all, we all do this. <laughs> Even today, God puts his fingers on things. He's like, hey, that's not okay anymore. Hey, I want you to stop doing that for a while. Does that mean I might go back to it at some point? That's what it means. You may, you may not. But for now, that's, that's not okay. Things that are completely legal for me to do. Things on TV that are completely legal, not sinful for me to watch at all. Stop watching that right now. Foods that are completely okay for me to eat. Stop eating that right now. Stop drinking that right now. Stop doing that right now. Surrender, full surrender. God, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. God, I've, I've, weighed, I've weighed the world like it's Ecclesiastes. I've, I've not weighed the world to the length that Solomon weighed the world, right? But I've weighed the world and the things of this world and found them wanting. They, they, they brought limited joy, joy that can't be reached without the presence of God in your life. There is a joy that comes through God. There are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. But in order to tap into those things, we have to surrender to God. It's all throughout the scriptures. We've got story after story after story. I'm going to go kind of fast, so just bear with me. Keep up. Genesis 22. We're going to start with Abraham. Abraham, he's been waiting 100 years. He's 100 years old. He finally has Isaac. Isaac gets to be, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And he says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Kill your son on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkeys and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. 
And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. You want to talk about submission? You want to talk about surrender? You want to talk about laying things down? You want to talk about God putting his finger on things? God help me. But look at Abraham's face, faith. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place that God had marked from afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Wow. Offering him as a burnt offering means that you're taking a knife and you're spilling the blood and you're putting it on the fire and burning it to ashes. And this is what God told Abraham to do for, with his son Isaac. And his faith said, we're going to go up and we're going to worship and we will come back to you. Not me, we. He's coming back. I don't know how God's going to work it out. I know God's faithful. I know this is the son of promise. I know that this is it. And whatever God has, Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that he was able, God was able to raise him from the dead, which, from, in which place he received him in a figurative sense. Because Abraham's body was 100 years old and it was as good as dead and it produced life. Did you know that after uh, Sarah passed away, Abraham had another wife and had like three or four more kids? Yeah. Read your Bibles. There's lots of good stuff in there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys just, you guys walked right into that one. <laughs> it's okay, I had forgotten to. <sighs> Worship always involves sacrifice. Worship always involves surrender. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, and so we don't have to have a blood sacrifice anymore. In the Old Testament, whenever you see worship, there is always a sacrifice. There is always the shedding of blood. Every time, every time, every time. You don't see worship without the shedding of blood except for a little bit in the tabernacle of David. <laughs> we'll talk about that too, hopefully. But it always involves sacrifice. It always involves bloodshed. It always involves worship, uh, to be worshiped until Jesus, because Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus hung upon the cross and he said, it is finished. The sacrificial system is done. It is completed. I am the one. I am the last one. I am the last person that needs to, I am the last amount of blood that needs to be spilled for the forgiveness of sin. It is finished. It's finished. No more blood needs to be spilled. So worship doesn't involve spilling any blood anymore, but it does still involve surrender. It does still involve surrender. It does still involve sacrifice. Psalm 51, 16 through 18, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so it's, a, it's about our heart position, guys. How do we want to position our hearts? How will we position our hearts? Will we come to a place where we truly worship? And worship, when we come to worship, worship in itself has the ability, if we're willing to surrender, worship has the ability to align our hearts with God. Second Samuel chapter 24, then Aruna said, uh, so, okay, so we're in Second Samuel 24, last chapter, book of Samuel, last thing that God has to say about David's life. David sins uh, and numbers the, man, the, the fighting men, and then the Lord releases an angel of the Lord to go and kill uh, 70,000 with a plague. And so there's 70,000 that are, are being killed. And so it says that the angel of the Lord, who's bringing this plague, stops at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Do you know where the threshing floor of the ruin of the Jebusite is? It's in uh, what was known as Jebus, which would become known as Jerusalem, but it's also on top of what was known as Mount Moriah. It's the same spot where uh, we saw that Abraham offered his son Isaac. Same spot. 
So here we are, a thousand years later. And the angel comes, and he's bringing chaos. It's supposed to be two days. I think he's only a day into it. And he comes to this spot where Abraham had offered his son. Abraham didn't withhold the knife until God said stop. And so I believe in that moment, the Lord's reminded of what happened. And the angel of the Lord stops in this place. God remembers. The angel got there and the Lord remembered the worship that happened a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago, God remembered. You don't think worship's important to the Lord? A thousand years later and he remembers. The first three commandments are all about our putting God in the right place. Right? What's the first commandment? Serve the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Worship. Number two. What's number two? Quiz. Pop quiz. You shall have no idols. Have no idols. Right? Why? Because it's about proper position for God. What's number three? Crickets. <laughs> well, somebody said something. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's number four. Close, though. Good, good job. Good try. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. It doesn't mean to not use God's name as a swear, although we shouldn't do that either. But it means to not take it and not have any outcome in your life. Right? I'm a Christian, and you still live like the world. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Ooh. Ooh. Uh-oh. All right, back to the scriptures. That was good stuff. Then Aruna said, why has, so the angel stops on Aruna, the Jebusite's threshing floor, and David goes up, you know, the Gad, the, the seer, the prophet tells him, go up there and, and make an offering. So Aruna said, why has the Lord, my, why is the Lord, why has my Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, let the Lord my God take and offer whatever seems good to you. Look, here are the oxen and the burnt offering and the threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All of these, O, o king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna, and Aruna said to the king, may the Lord God accept you. Aruna's in the boat. He's in the community. He's in the community. He's in the general population. He's in the, the, the congregation here, if you will. And he sees the disease. He sees the angel going on. And he's like, he's scared. And he says, may God accept your sacrifice. Pray, I'm praying. I'm on my knees. I'm on my face. Who knows who's next? May God accept your sacrifice. Then the king said to Aruna, listen to this. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Where I will not offer burnt offerings to my Lord, my God, which cost me nothing. I will not have a sacrifice that costs me nothing. I will not have a worship moment that costs me nothing. I will not bring a sacrifice. I will not have a surrender that doesn't cost me something. And so David buys the, the, the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord, heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Do you know what the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite became? It's where they would build the temple. They built the temple on that spot. On that spot. On that spot. Right there on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan's always been looking for worship. Yep. yep. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Thank God Jesus knew the scriptures. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. There is so much here in this scripture. There is so much here in this scripture. 
I'm going to talk about the stuff that doesn't apply to worship before we talk about the stuff that does apply to worship. So the first thing is it says that the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain where he could see all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Where is there a mountain where you can see all of the kingdoms of the world? There isn't one. And where is there a mountain where you can stand on top of a mountain and see the glory of a kingdom? There isn't one. And so this is a spiritual mountain that Satan took Jesus up on. Second thing I want you to see here is he said, all of these things that I will give to you. If I, I'm gonna, I've got my phone in my hand. Zach, I want to give you my phone. I can do that, right? Watch. Martins, I want to give you Stacy's phone. Pastor Stacy's phone. I can't do that. I don't have it. And so if, G, if Satan is offering, I know he's the father of lies, but if Satan is offering to give Jesus something, then he's in possession of it. This is the beginning of the Gospels. And Satan has the authority over the earth. But because Jesus refused to bow to him, watch this, because Jesus refused to bow to him the way that Adam and Eve bowed to him in the garden, Jesus takes back the authority right here, right here, right here in this moment. It says that Satan left that place. We're not even talking about worship yet. It says that Satan left that place and angels came and ministered to Jesus. And so Jesus takes over this high place of the kingdoms of the world and their glory in this moment. And then he goes out in power and he begins to cast out demons. And he says to, the, and he says to them, he says, how can you cast out demons unless you first bind the strong man? Here's the binding of the strong man. Jesus won right here. He won when he refused to bow down in worship. He, worshiped, he won when he refused to bow down and worship the wrong thing. We would win if we would just worship the right thing. And we don't even have to worry, guys, about worshiping the wrong thing. All we got to do is worship the right thing. If we worship the right thing well enough, then we don't have to worry about worshiping the wrong thing. All of these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan's always been after worship from the beginning. Yeah. Satan was uh, one of the strongest angels in heaven. Says that he was adorned with beautiful gems and that he led the worship in heaven. And when he fell, he took a third of the angels with them, with him. Right? And it says that Satan fell. This is all in um, Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 22 and Ezekiel and it's Ezekiel 22 and Isaiah 14. I could have the scriptures wrong, but it's in there. And it says that Satan tried to exalt, this is in Revelation, that Satan tried to exalt himself above God because he wanted worship for himself. He wanted worship for himself, right? And so it hasn't changed. Here we are, thousands of years later. He still wants worship. He's still looking for worship. He's still looking for the one thing that he can't have. He's still looking for the one thing that he'll never have. It aggravates him when we refuse to worship him. It aggravates him when we choose to worship God. <laughs> that was better than you guys responded. It aggravates him when we, worship, when we refuse to worship him, and it aggravates him when we worship God. You want to aggravate the devil? Worship God. That's all you got to do. I don't even have to pay him any credence. All I have to do is worship God. And the devil is annoyed. He goes running because he just can't stand the sound of it. It irritates him when we worship God freely and fully. There's a story, and I'm just going to tell the story in an abbreviated format because I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but we see this played out step by step in the first community worship service in Israel's history. The first corporate worship service to ever happen. God speaks to Moses and says, bring out my people and bring them to my mountain that they might serve me, that they might worship me, depending on which translation you read. And so he says, go to, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go, that they can come and worship me on my mountain. And so Moses does. He goes and he says, hey, listen, uh, God says, let my people go, that they might worship me. 
And Pharaoh says what? He says, no. As a matter of fact, you know what? You guys want to do that because you're so lazy. You know what? You can go pick your own straw. So he makes their work harder. They have a desire to go and worship. And Pharaoh, he's a, he's a symbol of Satan. He makes the work harder. You have trouble getting here to church? Don't let, don't let the enemy have any uh, place in your life. Press through. Get here. Press through. The enemy will distract you. He's just distracting you in different ways, guys. I don't want you to be here on worship. I don't want you to be here on time for worship for me. I'm going to have a great time worshiping whether you're here or not. <laughs> I don't want you to be here on time for worship for the worship team. They're going to sing whether you're here at 10 a.m. or not. We're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You saw it this morning. The Holy Spirit came whether you guys were here on time or not. I want you to be on time for worship for you. If you don't want to be on time for worship for you, ah, well, I, we'll, we'll just put your name in the hat. We'll pray. <laughs> but there is something that comes through corporate worship. There's something that happens through corporate worship that doesn't happen any other way. I mean, we can get things uh, in private worship. I love private worship. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent. But there are things that come through corporate worship when we're all gathered together in one place. You can't get any other way. And so come on time for that. So he says, let my people go. He says, no, makes our life harder, right? So then God sends a couple diseases out, right? So then um, Moses comes back and he says, let my people go. And then Satan says, I mean, Pharaoh says, Satan says, okay, just don't go too far, right? Because Moses had said, the Lord had said to Moses, go three days journey into the wilderness, you and your wives and your children and your livestock, everyone. And so Pharaoh responds and he says, okay, just don't go that far. You know what? How about you just worship here in Goshen, right? Don't go to Mount Moriah. Just worship here in Goshen. Listen, listen, we don't have to be that extreme about worship. Satan saying, listen, we don't have to be that extreme about worship. What are you getting so carried away for? You, we don't have to dance like that. We don't have to lift our arms. We don't have to sing so loud. Why does the music always got to be so loud? Why do you got to, yeah. Why do you got to be so extreme? You don't have to be that extreme. Just make it easy. It's just, just you don't have to go that far. It's, it's just easy. Just do it easy. Satan's always trying to take the sacrifice out. He's always trying to take the surrender out. So then God sends a couple more diseases. <laughs> I'm just telling the story. Then he says, then, then Satan says, I mean, Pharaoh says, uh, just the men. We'll just let the men go. Right? Don't, don't get together in a corporate setting. We'll just send the men. It'll just be a man thing. Uh, man thing. Uh, yeah. That'd be good. Satan's always trying to break up communities. Yeah. He's always trying to break up corporate settings. He doesn't want you here. And if he can just get you to not show up or show up late, just the men. Just, just let the men go. God sends a, God sends a couple more diseases. <laughs> So then, uh, then, then Satan, I mean, Pharaoh's got another brilliant idea. He says, uh, okay, you can go and your wives can go and your children can go. Just don't take your livestock or your possessions or anything that you're going to use to worship God. Just don't, just don't let worship cost you anything. Oh. You know, one of the biggest ways that we worship God is in our offering. And I'm not talking about money, but Satan was like, okay, go ahead. Just go, go, just, and you can go all the way, but just, just don't take your stuff with you. Don't let it, it why does worship got to cost me anything? Who, who are you hearing? Who are you hearing? So then God sends a few more, few more diseases, actually just one more. And now all of Egypt pours out their gold all over the Israelites and says, get out of here and go worship your God and don't come back. 
get out of here and go worship God and don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, something changed. It finally got through until they were five minutes outside of Egypt. And then Satan, I mean Pharaoh, changed his mind. It's like, go get them and bring them back. Red Sea crossing, you all know how that ends. Satan's always looking for worship. And if we just don't worship God rightly, if we just don't worship God fully, it's enough. He'll be satisfied with that. He'll, he's there to take away any measure of worship to God that we can because if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. And if we don't worship God fully, we leave the door open to something else. If we don't worship God, I, I asked the Lord years ago, I asked the Lord and I said, God, why is this such a big deal? One, two, and three. The first three commandments are all about, you know, having you in a proper place in our lives. Why is, why is this such a big deal? Why is worship such a big deal? It, and he said, because if you don't worship me, you will worship something else. Humanity was created for worship. Humanity was created for worship. Humanity was created for worship and we will worship something. What are you going to worship? Are you going to worship God? Are you going to worship family? Are you going to worship your job? Are you going to worship work? Are you going to worship your career? Are you going to worship your possessions? There's billions of things in this world that you can worship, and it doesn't have to be some idol sitting on a shelf. What are you going to worship? If I could just get 100 wild worshipers. (laughs) I think we're almost there. Not fully wild yet. Not all bets are off. All bets, are, all bets are off. Presence comes. God comes. Does whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants. This is a people that will lift up their hearts to the Lord fully. This is a people. I'm, t- I'm speaking to redeeming love. This is a people that will lift up our hearts fully. This is a people that will engage God in worship fully. This is a people that will draw, put a draw on the presence of God fully. And we will see the miracles. We will see the signs and wonders. We will see the full, manifest- full manifestation of God in this place. I know a pastor who's pastors in, uh, I met a pastor, he pastors in uh, Maine, and they've seen the glory cloud. They've seen the Shekinah glory cloud twice this year. Come on, bring it here, Lord. How does it come? It comes through worship. It comes through fully pressing in. How did it, what happened out there on the mountain when the, when the Israelites finally got to the mountain, when they finally got to the mountain, they finally got to that place after Fa- Satan, I mean Pharaoh, finally let them go? What happened? The glory of God descended upon the mountain, lightnings and thunderings and smoke and fire. Why were they scared? Because the mountain was on fire, guys. There was lightning and thunderings. It's a, it's a, read Revelation chapter 4, there's lightnings and thunderings in heaven. There's lightnings and there's thunderings on the mountain. And the Israelites are terrified by the presence of God. What happened when they came back to dedicate the temple the second time? The, they get there and, and the, the presence, of, they begin to worship and the presence of God shows up and the Shekinah glory cloud fills the room and the priests who minister before the Lord, they weren't even able to stand. Talk about being slain in the spirit. They weren't even able to stand. Come on. You guys are so emotional. People complain about contemporary worship. They're like, you're so emotional. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I think I'm reading something here that's pretty emotional. The Shekinah glory cloud filled the temple and they weren't able to stand. I don't know, man. Uh, Is your worship like that in, in whatever church you're in? I want it to be like that in my church. It says that David, we're gonna, uh, if we have time, we'll read the scripture. It says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Is that happening? Like a little bit emotional? No, I think we need to be a lot bit emotional. Emotion's a good thing. God gave me these emotions. I don't be ruled by them, but I use them. All right, this is the last story we'll read today. Then we'll take communion. You guys know this story. 
David's bringing the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He's just became king. This is the first thing he wants to do. And so he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and says, So it was when those who were bearing the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen. Here's sacrifice again, guys. He sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. All of his might. All of his might. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. When was the last time you worshiped God with all of your might? All of your might. <laughs> yeah, five minutes ago. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was actually all of my might. Honestly, it was good. It was good. I'm not saying, it's just maybe not all of my might today, but, you know, there's some days. This was, uh, Psalm 24 was written for this day. And David was lit wearing linen ephod. And so that's the, the garment of the, that the, the king would wear or that the priest would wear, I'm sorry. And so it, if you were to, un, you got to understand what it, look, what it is. It's a giant circle, right? A giant circular piece of fabric with a hole cut in it for the head. And they put it over and then it lays down, right? And you have all of these beautiful lines in it, right? All the gathering, right? But then if you spin and dance, what happens? It comes up, right? You've seen this with skirts when girls dance and the dancing things, right? It comes up. And so David's undergarments were exposed. We're going to read that here in a minute. And so David and all of the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. Yep. Come on, somebody shout. <laughs> That's worship. That's worship. And the sound of the trumpet. Nobody brought one today. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> no external instruments are allowed. Thank you. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, who was David's wife, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling. <laughs> leaping and whirling. <laughs> leaping and whirling. This, this is what worship looks like. He's leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle of David that he erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings, here we go again with the sacrifice, and peace offerings before the Lord. When they were to move the ark, see, they had moved it wrong the first time, and his buddy Uzzah died on the threshing, on the, near the threshing floor of Obed-Edom. Right? They moved it wrong the first time. So the second time, David's like, I'm going to get it right this time. So they move it six paces the number of men. And before they took the seventh step, the, the number of covenant, before they made covenant with God as they're moving the ark, they are to offer an, they're offer an offering. And so they have the oxen offering there at the beginning. And now they finish the journey with the ark and they bring it to its resting place in the tabernacle of David, which wasn't allowed to be done, but he did it anyways. And so when they bring it to its completed spot, they have an offering again to follow the law. So it blows my mind. David's following the law there, but he's not following the law there by putting the ark out in front for everybody to see the whole time. Acts 2 says it's because David was a prophet and he saw what was to come the day that we live in now. Then David returned to bless his household and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said to her, how glorious was the king today in front of all of Israel, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maidservants. This is where the linen ephod came out. As one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. David says, I will become even more undignified than this. Modern terminology, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's coming. Get ready. Get ready. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humble in my own sight. <laughs> so when you, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm inviting all of you to dance wildly with me, right? I dance wildly before the Lord. I'm inviting all of you to dance wildly with me. But when you do it, you have to actually do it with a humble heart. Or else it's of no value. 
If you do the right thing with the wrong motivation, you get no reward. <laughs> if you do the right thing with the wrong motivation, you get no reward. If you do, I'll say it one more time for those of you who are writing it down, taking notes, my students. If you do the right thing with the wrong motivation, you get no reward. <laughs> That's a whole nother sermon all in itself. I just leave that alone. Humble in my own sight, but as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in an honor. I'll become even more undignified than this. Um, I just want to speak for a moment about the journey that I had in get, coming to the place where I worship the way that I do. It wasn't easy. A lot of people said a lot of things that were kind of hurtful over the years. People that I respected and esteemed greatly um, said things. And I believe that some of that was even said by the Spirit, by their Spirit, by, by the Spirit of God, that it would test me, that it would determine how I was going to respond to it. And then, so I say all that to say that um, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to hold something against somebody when they speak something because it may not even be them speaking, it may be the Spirit. And the same people that once ridiculed me later came back and praised me for my same worship. As ridiculous as it was the first time, it got as ridiculous the second time, but now it's a good thing. And so I know that it was the Spirit that was speaking in and through them to test my heart, to see where my heart was. And so there was a journey that I had to go through to get to the place where I'm an, uh, I'm an undignified worshiper, meaning that I don't care what people think. You can call me Pastor Pogo. You can call me whatever you want. You know, those names come. I'm not offended. I refuse to be offended. And as I refuse to be offended, it just continues. I'll become un even more undignified than this. Yeah. Go ahead. Call me names. I'll become... Uh, Mikhail called David names. I'll become even more undignified than this, but I'll be humble in my own sight, and I'll be esteemed by others. I'll be esteemed by those who know what they're looking at. And so at this point, you can say whatever you want, and it doesn't bother me. Um, I'm beyond the place of offense. It can't happen. And so I say all of this to invite you into a more wild place of worship. What is it that the Lord's calling you to do, and what are you not responding in? Vivian worships wildly before the Lord. She's got her own pace. She doesn't jump as high as me, but man, she does some twirls that are pretty cool. And I'm not saying that we all have to look the same. You know, everybody's going to do their own thing, but do it and do it wholeheartedly to the Lord. You know, where are you at in your worship? Are you at, are you, are you at, at the space where you're just carrying the baby? <laughs> have you moved to the space where you don't shoot? <laughs> right? Have you come to the place where you're like, touchdown? Or are you in field goal? It's okay. We're all, in, we're all in a transitional state. We're all in this place. But we're all on a journey to one place, guys. We're all on a journey to one place where I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you think. I didn't do it for you anyways. My worship is for him. This week, I want to in invite you to surrender. We need to surrender completely and fully. We will worship God unabandonedly, unashamedly when we've fully surrendered. It's our own minds that keep us from worshiping. It's the thoughts and words that others have spoken that we hold on to and we don't let go of that keep us from worshiping. I want to encourage you today, be delivered from people's thoughts. Listen, you think that I'm, I'm a good dancer. I don't dance at all. Pastor Steve has taught me how to do ballroom dancing 10 times. I still can't do it. I don't know how to dance. What I do is called balter. It means to dance with wild enthusiasm and without much skill. <laughs> that, perfectly, that perfectly describes who I am. With wild enthusiasm and not much skill. If it looks like I'm on beat or whatever, that's a mistake. <laughs> My clapping has been known to throw the drummer off. That's why they put this thing up back here.
<laughs> I love you too. Uh, when we come to a place of surrender, we will worship unashamedly and unabandonedly. We need to come to a place of surrender. Let go of what people think. Let go of what you think. I'll tap you on the shoulder and let you know if you've gone too extreme, but I don't see that happening. I don't know if that's possible. Show me. <laughs> Getting into dangerous territory here. And this week, I want you to invite you to worship more completely. Without saying, without even describing what that is. We didn't even talk about any of the forms of, I mean, we, we mentioned a couple, but we didn't really point them out. We didn't make a list. There's 25, 30 different things that you can do to worship God. Lift your hands, raise your voice, give a shout, give an offering, read the word. The list goes on and on and on. Pray, play, and pray, play an instrument. These Dance, leap, whirl. These are all different ways that you can worship God, and that's not even the end. We can lay down, we can bow down, we can kneel down. All ways that we can worship God. The list is long. Not talking about, just position your heart right. Position your heart right. And then do whatever's in your heart. God will lead you in the worship. He'll lead you in dance. He'll lead you in song. He'll lead you in singing. We're going to take communion. And uh, as we take this today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, let a man examine himself as we take communion. And so today as we take communion, I, wanted, I want this to be our focus. I'll give you a minute as you guys are fumbling with your communion there because I really want I want us all to get this today Jesus Jesus we worship you Jesus we worship you afresh we worship you anew we worship you afresh and anew creating us a clean heart renew a right spirit within us oh God 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that we should examine ourselves when we take communion. It says, because we don't examine ourselves, many of you are weak and sick and have died prematurely. And so we want to, I want us to examine ourselves today. And I want us to just identify where we've not worshipped God truly. Where we've not pressed into the fullness of what God was calling us to in worship. I want us to examine ourselves and think for a moment where maybe we've ridiculed someone else for their worship. 